Why, hello there. It's a new week, which means it's time for us to tell you about our benevolent overlords over at Fangoria. You know they have a hell of a podcast network because you're listening to it right now. But we also wanted to make sure you knew about their quarterly magazine. For 40 years, Fangoria has been the gold standard of genre reporting, and in recent times, they've taken it up a notch with beautifully executed collectible issues of their magazine filled with the hands-down best coverage of the horror, sci-fi, and fantasy genres. None of this writing is available online, so make sure to head over to Fangoria.com and pick yourself up a subscription. And because you're a listener of this show, you can get a whopping 25% off your annual subscription when you enter in the promo code KINGCAST at checkout. Now, on with the show, which, by the way, I apologize for. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the Kingcast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. I'm Eric Vespi. I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. Our guest today is a returning champion around these parts. She's the best selling author of The Lady from the Black Lagoon, which shines a light on the unsung work of the great Millicent Patrick, who designed the famous creature. Uh, Scott kind of. Has a thing for that creature. I don't know. You don't have a thing for Millicent, right? You just have a thing for the fish guy, right? What do you mean a thing? Do you mean like I'm trying to fuck the creature? Or That's Millicent? your words, not mine. Well, what do you mean by a thing? You know, a thing, an obsession. Oh, you, you have a tattoo well, of this thing on your fucking body, don't you? That's true. I have a big creature tattoo. Uh, I, I'm a big creature fan, but Millicent is like the unsung hero of the the oh, entire she- Creature from the Black Lagoon thing. She is the creature. Yeah. I mean, she not like is is, but she she made the iconic image that you see. Yeah, you are you are correct. She is not the Gill Man, um, but uh, I don't know. Your whole wording on a thing is uh, very unfortunate. I, I do I do believe that you want to have sex with the creature. Anyway, our <laughs> our guest is also the co-host of Reading Glasses, a podcast she runs with Bria Grant, and we've uh, taken part in one of those as well. But her crowning achievement in life so far is giving us all the gift of Chut Buggins, an in-joke that was revealed in her first episode with us that uh, has come to kind of a freakish life for our readers. <laughs> I, I call them readers. They're actually listeners. They they read with their ears. He is the King Cass own George Stark at this point, and I fully expect to see him walk through my front door someday, mullet blowing dramatically in the breeze, a la Nick Cage and Con Air, an American flag in one hand and a Coors Light in the other, and some Skinnerd song playing off in the distance. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Miss Mallory O'Mara. <laughs> I really promised myself that I was going to be much more serious and and, uh, sort of studious on this episode. And I can see that is absolutely not going to happen. Are you kidding me? I went went and got some gas station champagne for the show. Oh, my God. We're doing it. We're doing it up right. Don't worry about that. If I had only known what I unleashed uh, last time by bringing Chet Buggins to you all. (laughs) People tweet at me about Chet Buggins all the time. There's almost not a day that goes by that I don't hear something Chet Buggins related. Like, not necessarily in my mentions, because I don't read those, but the KingCast mentions, it pops up a lot, I feel like, and on the Patreon, and yeah. He's he's the man of of our times, for sure. (laughs) For for those of you, uh, for, for the listeners in the audience who may have missed 
your first appearance. Can you give us a brief overview of Chet? So Chet Buggins is a man that was created. Me and my boyfriend were joking around and he had made a spoonerism of butt chugging and said Chet Buggins. And then immediately uh, this character spring fully formed from our brains. This man with, you know, high waisted acid wash jeans, mullet, large beer koozie collection, rides around in a forest green Chrysler Sebring with the top down, loves to grill loves Bruce Springsteen. And most importantly, he loves Stephen King. It's the only author he reads. What has uh, Chet Buggins been up to over the last few months? A lot of grilling. I mean, that's all Chet can really do <laughs> in quarantine. He's become, he's really leaned into becoming a grill master uh, and catching up on, on Stephen King books. And um, does he, does he grill only meat or does he do like vegetarian grills as well? Oh no. Only Come on, man. Only hot dogs and, and hamburgers for, for Chet. He doesn't yeah. do anything fancy. I could see some kebabs in there, maybe. Like no. Chet's going to be out here with mushrooms and peppers. How dare you? No, he's very suspicious. He doesn't want anything like that lying down on his grill. I get so- it. I just thought that, that maybe he might have gone out with like a, a new age person or something. I don't know. No, unless you're uh, down with 100% beef franks, you are not down with Chet. <laughs> uh, okay, so... um. Let's also talk a little bit about, uh, again, for people that may have missed your previous appearance on the show, briefly, your your Stephen King origin story. Uh, well, growing up as a horror fan in New England, you know, King is so ubiquitous there and in the horror world that I almost feel like I, I got became a Stephen King fan through osmosis. He was just sort of everywhere. Uh, The first time that I read anything by Stephen King was when I was really, really young and I was reading my way through everything in the house. And I found my mother's creep show graphic novel that she had gotten when she went to go see creep show. And I think, I don't think it's in print anymore. Uh, I haven't checked in a while, but they gave out these amazing comic books to go with the movie. And uh, it was just like a comic version of creep show. And I fell in love. And the first story is the crate. I love anything beastie and werewolfy. And I absolutely fell in love. And I just started reading King, you know, there was so much of it. And it was exciting to me, because it a lot of it take, takes place in Maine and New Hampshire and Massachusetts. And that's where I'm from. And so I kind of grew up feeling like I like, Everything in New England was like horror central, which I guess it sort of mm. is in, in America. And uh, I, I fell in love with it. You know, it's I, a creepy looking area. It is very creepy. Uh, I think a lot of it is because New England is so rife with like those horror set pieces. You know, there's old buildings, old graveyards, old churches, rundown things, creepy people living in the hills. Like it's got it all. <laughs> all the trees look like, um, you know, our our art director on the show is Daniel Danger, and he lives up there. And almost all of his work contains like a decompositing house and some very scary trees. Uh, and then I went up there a, a few years ago, I went through a, a road trip through there and, uh, you know, went to Salem and all that shit. And as we were driving through it, I was just like, okay, he nailed it. This looks straight up like a Daniel danger fucking poster. <laughs> like there are creepy trees everywhere. I look. It's pretty exciting when you're a horror fan because it makes you feel makes, I, I feel like it makes the things that you're reading scarier because when you're looking out your window, it looks, yeah. I mean, it looks like it, it, what you're reading about. There's a real witch finder general vibe going on up there. By the way, what did you think of Hoobie Halloween? I actually haven't watched it yet. Uh, oh, come I, on, dude. 
I, I have this weird, so there's an author that I love named Lindy West, and she came out with a collection last year called The Witches Are Coming. And in the collection was an, like the one of the funniest essays I've ever read about Adam Sandler and his work. And growing again, growing up in New England, Adam Sandler is a hometown hero. You know, I used yeah. to go to the Red Arrow Diner in Manchester, New Hampshire, and like the booth that Adam Sandler sat at, like had a little plaque over it, like Adam Sandler was here at the Red Arrow. Um, but she, this essay is so funny and so accurate because she makes it's just a big list of the things that are con- that are happen in every single Adam Sandler movie. Mm-hmm. Someone pees outside. A large man baby is inexplicably better at this one thing than anybody else, despite having no training. Uh, mm-hmm. A beautiful woman is also inexplicably attracted to said man, despite him being completely repulsive in every possible way. It's just like, and uh, it, it, as I was reading it, I was like, oh my god. Yes, this is all accurate. And I was like crying laughing and I haven't been able to watch an Adam Sandler movie since, but I'm going to have to watch UB Halloween to see how it stacks up. Also highly recommend reading that. I think you would like it, man. There's so many, it's, you know, it's there's a large man child who's really good with the thermos. There's a beautiful woman who inexplicably loves him. All that shit is, is very accurate and I agree with it, but also it was like, I don't know. I had a weird reaction to that movie where I, I haven't watched any of the uh, Sandler Netflix movies. You know, I was just like, no, I get it. I've seen the trailers and that's just going to be a bit much for me. But who be Halloween? I and this maybe has to do with like uh, COVID standards. Um, I have this theory that all of our standards have plummeted in COVID, whether it be your sexual attraction to people or what you'll watch or what you'll eat. Like we're all turning into like fucking like grunting cave people by being locked <laughs> in our houses. You know what I'm saying? Like it's You're true. watching all like, the web series from people that you knew in college finally. You're like, oh, all right. Bro, I watched a whole fucking season of 90 Day Fiance the other day. Like, oh, this Scott. is not me. I know, Scott. but it was... Oh, dude, it was really entertaining, though. Let me tell you. I think oh, I am... I, am I, I feel like you have a, some kind of weird brain parasite right now. What are... I've Sarah, always how do we had get a weird... I've always had a weird brain parasite for as long as you've known me i am only now being able to take my full trash form in quarantine i'm gonna and buy you a raccoon onesie i would wear it i had a monkey onesie that i wore all over the place and then well the monkey suit had too many adventures and just became untenable <laughs> like first i lost the headpiece for it and then like the fur on the costume got all matted and gross like a fucking shag carpet that it, someone had filmed a porn on and, and not cleaned up. Oh, it was you just know you re- can get that dry cleaned, right? I don't know if you could get this thing was very cheap. You know, but I, w- che- I would love to see Scott Wobbler walk into a dry cleaner <laughs> with a monkey costume. It's Scott's version of that scene from American Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Get all the DNA out of this. Whatever you might find. This um, is it's cr- apple cranberry juice. Man, the monkey costume had a. Uh, I, I the the character was Tumblers the monkey. Um, Tumblers went out on a on a high note. That was a the, the best costume I've ever had, and uh, it only became problematic during Fantastic Fest when I'd put it on. And then, like, if you have to take a leak. You know, you got to take this fucking thing off and sit down. It's like a whole production. And when you're at Fantastic Fest, you're just like pounding, 
pictures and shit, you know? So I'm just constantly, I needed like a, a camel back hooked to my, to, to my, to my dick with the monkey costume. Like maybe so like a drink it later? No, <laughs> just get rid of it. So I don't have to fully disrobe every time I have to take a leak. Just dump it out outside and make What's Adam Sandler happy. fucking fly, dude? <laughs> like, why do you have to uh, see Mallory, I don't know if you've ever seen a monkey, but they don't have flies. Okay. And this... <laughs> costume was going for realism so ah, there was no okay. fly yeah it was like a one piece with the 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 zipper up the back and i would somehow <laughs> i would sometimes have to ask dudes in the bathroom like can you unzip me just that is like the most adorable thing i've ever heard in my life yeah no one ever liked it everyone was very upset whenever i asked but you know things have to get done so you know i'm gonna say the most camaraderie i've ever had in a, in a bathroom was at fantastic fest so i believe it what happened uh, so I would, the one and only time I ever got to go to Fantastic Fest was in 2017, I want to say. And yeah. I was on my period and I very unexpectedly, I've been traveling a bunch and I got down and I realized I didn't have any tampons on me. And I just literally stepped out of the stall and looked around the women's bathroom and was like, hey, does anyone have a tampon? And a bunch of women were like, yeah, we got you. And then some other lady was like, you know, it's stupid that there aren't tampons in here. Let's start a tampon box. And the entire rest of the fest, there was this big cardboard box in the women's bathroom filled with tampons that in pads and like lipstick and other like things that women might need in a bathroom that women were just like, it was like, take a tampon, leave a tampon. And it was the most like affirming wholesome thing I've ever seen in my life. It was incredible. That is, there's none of that going on in the men's bathrooms at Fantastic Fest. No a, tampons in the Take bathroom. a onesie, leave a onesie. It's a it's a cutthroat environment in there. And uh, <laughs> we've lost many good men along the way, but um you can't make Although it I would have I would have loved to have seen Scott in his uh, monkey costume be like the bathroom attendant like with mints and shit, but as the monkey. I feel like you have to sanitize that thing every day. So, so, <laughs> so. <laughs> what are uh, we here to talk? Oh, yes. Uh, tell, tell us about the book you picked, Mallory. Uh, so we were talking about me coming back on the show and I really, really wanted to do needful things. Uh, Cause I think it is, it, it's such a fascinating and I'm I, right off the top. I want listeners to know I am not a needful things apologist. I know that there's a lot of problems with the movie, but I hadn't seen it in a really, really long time. And it's such a quintessential small town, New England story. And I, mm-hmm. I love a small town, any book movie. If it's the synopsis is literally a small town with secrets. Sign me the fuck up. I mm-hmm. eat that shit for breakfast. So uh, we decided to do needful things and I'm really excited about it. How do you feel about the movie in general? I think it's a pile of trash, but it's a Mm -hmm. pile of weird trash because I don't actually think the movie is inherently bad. Uh, My boyfriend put it the best. We were watching it, rewatching it the other night for this podcast. And he was like, it's as if somebody made an entire 22 episode series about needful things <laughs> five minutes from each episode and made it into this movie. And it's a, he's a hundred percent right. <laughs> That's he, extremely accurate. I think I'd get along with your boyfriend. Probably he, he's the greatest person alive. <laughs> he, he coined Chud Buggins and totally, cause I was coming into this thing going, I have a big soft spot for this movie. I, I saw it when it came out. Needful things was one of the first books that I think was new King when I started reading King because uh, this came out in what the ninety two the book I think yes. the movie was a little later, um, and so that was right when I was starting to read. So it wouldn't have been like the very first Stephen King 
new book that I, I bought it, but it would have been the one that was, wasn't out in paperback yet that I got like a used hardcover. Yep. For. Same experience. And, and so I have a soft spot for the book and the movie cause I saw it there, but it is, it's something that has pr- an amazing cast uh, it's shot mostly well. There's a few moments in there that are kind of iffy, yeah, which I'm sure we'll we'll touch on at some point during this talk. But the cast is so good, you know, like it, it's just like loaded with great character actors, uh, and and it toys with a sense of humor that I think is really crucial to telling the story well. But it is, it's missing that one little thing. But now I think your boyfriend nailed it. What's your, I, I don't I feel weird calling him just your boyfriend. What's his, his, name? His, his name is Jeremy. Uh, he, he's also a writer. He's a comics writer. Um, and he, he's a genius. I love him. Um, but so, he, so Jer- Jeremy, Jeremy's like kind of fixed something where I was like, there, it's missing. There's one element missing from this that I'm not sure what it is that's keeping it from being, you know, more than a seven out of 10. In, you know what I mean? Or six, six and a half out of 10. It's all the negative space. And I mean, it, it's funny because this novel in particular showcases the absolute strength and the absolute weakness of Stephen King's writing in that way that the entire emotional gravitas of the story is hanging on the interior lives of everybody in this, everybody, you know, you see everyone's motivations, you know, all their backstories and you know, all the weird little Stephen Kingy details about people. And it's very difficult to show that in a movie. So without all of that, I mean, by the end of the movie, you're just like, every scene feels like it is several weeks after the first scene. And you're like, wait, what is happening? Wait, what? Hmm. Like it is so it's, it's in all of the negative space. And if you had, I, I honestly, if any studios are listening, please hire me to write a Steve, uh, Needful Things miniseries. I I think the miniseries is the ultimate form, media adaptation form for Stephen King because it's long enough to get all of the, that char- characterization that is so important to a Stephen King novel. He he needs that time. It's so difficult to to make an adaptation of a of a King book. Yeah, I I agree with that, and I think my my big thing on Needful Things is that it's. It was written to be a dark comedy. I don't think it was taken that way. I think a lot of people just, I don't think they were picking up on that flavor of it. And I think that applies to the filmmakers as well, because while like Eric noted, there are moments in there where it's kind of darkly funny. Like this should be like a pitch black comedy. Yeah, hilarious. When using uh, In the Hall of the Mountain King, you know, you can clearly tell that they're having fun with, with those sections of, of the, the movie. And I remember it was also sold on that as well. Like what was the TV spot that was always on? Like it was 15 seconds, but it always ended with uh, Gaunt and um, Buster on the phone and Buster doing I just killed my wife. Is that wrong? Oh, and yeah. Like, oh, yeah. You know, you got to do what you got to do. You know, it, it, the marketing, I seem to understand that. But you're right. The movie alternates between taking itself too seriously and toying with that that humor, that black humor. I totally agree. And that's what I, I think there's so many set pieces in this story that make it hard for people to to, to laugh about it. You know, we, you have the suicide of a kid from the book, which obviously they changed for the movie. Uh, you have the, 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 warring churches there's a lot of things that people take so obviously taking the suicide of a child is something that you'd have to take the most seriously so i I think a lot of people have a hard time uh getting over those things 
um, to, to see the black humor in it. I mean, and even in the book, that's really when things turn is when the, the suicide of Brian Rusk and all of a sudden it goes from, Oh my gosh, this book is so ridiculous. It's so funny to, Oh, oh. like Stephen, Steve, this, this book is in the story is the ultimate, like Stephen King making you laugh until he's like, no, this isn't a joke anymore. And you're like, wait, what? Oh God. Yeah, right. I think mm. the thing that, really one of the biggest themes in the book and something that's such a huge driving force to what makes everything seem plausible and really seems like something that could happen in your own town that the movie completely misses out on is how badly these people want these things and what there's only a few little shine like with Polly a little bit it's very obvious to see how much she wants relief from her pain even though she, you only see how badly she's in pain for half of the movie. All of a sudden it shows one day. She's just like, there's a scene where her, her hands are like airbrushed with red. And you're like, wait, what? Right. Um, and then the, uh, I think it's Hugh Priest when he, you see how badly he wants uh, to be back in his, his, you know, the good old days of his youth. But in the book, you really, really get to know all the characters and you see how what, these things are not things for these people. They're really symbols of of a kind of happiness that they want even if that happiness isn't true happiness and you can kind of see from an outside perspective that it's a very shallow and unsustainable kind of happiness you see how badly they want them and without that in the film it kind of falls flat i'm realizing only now that we have not given a narrative overview of this oh well everyone knows that someone someone a kid kills himself and someone's hands are hurting those yeah well I, i was listening to y'all talk and thinking we didn't do that, and people who've never read this are probably profoundly confused right now. Um, <laughs> Eric, do you do you want to give an overview? Yeah. The, okay. Yeah. No, it, this is a uh, one of King's Castle Rock stories. As a matter of fact, I think it was sold as the last mm-hmm. Castle Rock story. Right. This is yes. supposedly the 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 big finale mm-hmm. to all that stuff. It's a small town. Why do you Maine, think he did that? By the way. Uh, I feel like maybe he, f- my guess, I, I haven't read up on this. I'm maybe he's spoken about it, but my guess would be that he had kind of leaned on castle rock and those characters for so much leading up to needful things. Like it, it, the dark half is castle rock. The, the body in different seasons is castle rock. Uh, ca- mm-hmm. I think uh, Shawshank's outside of castle rock too. Right. Is it so Cujo it's like and castle rock. Cujo's in Castle Rock, you know, it's like it feels and they were he was overlapping a lot of his characters and making mention the sheriff and Cujo's was the sheriff in the dead zone. And then Cujo kills that sheriff and Pangborn, you know, pops up, you know, after that and kind of takes his place. And and it's uh, I, I have a feeling like he just wanted to kind of write himself out of that corner, maybe like that would be my guess. I don't know. It's There's like so like, much like, like Kevin Smith that. announcing the last view askew movie. You know, or the last New Jersey movie. Like, we know you're going back to Right. So it's a small town uh, where very much like Salem's Lot, a mysterious uh, person moves in and opens uh, a trinket shop. Not It's kind of an antique store. It's kind of, in the movie. It's kind of just like a house with shit around it. Um, it's it's very weird. Like a but it's a, it's a store called Needful Things. And the proprietor is a man named Leland Gaunt, who is very much a make a deal with a devil kind of character. Uh, and he has the thing that every single person who walks into that shop's hearts desire the most, whatever they want the most it's in there and he will sell it to you for a very fair price. 
uh, mostly your soul, but it's not as deliberate as that. It's not, it's not as, uh, you know, give me your soul and you can have this, you know, uh, Hubble figure or whatever, you know, it's like, he wants you to make choices. So the whole thing is about making people go. It's not a big deal. If I go slash this person's tires and that he, he makes them do little teeny tiny tasks that start adding up against each other to the point where everybody's at each other's throats, literally, you know, trying to kill each other. The whole book is is kind of this morality play of, you know, what people are willing to do for the thing that they think they want the most. It's a thing that they need the most for, for them. And like Mallory was saying, it's not, it doesn't have to be money. It's not whatever it is. It can be a feeling. It could be, you know, a pair of Elvis sunglasses that uh, make you have sex with the king when you put them on. So thank God uh, Brian Rusk didn't get those. Just, um, <laughs> and, and, just, and just to clarify, when you say the king, you mean Elvis and not Don Knotts. Which I think a lot of people might be confused right. about. I, I meant Bronson Pinchot, actually. <laughs> All of that is very accurate. I think my favorite thing about the book is that, at least in the early stages, Leland Gaunt's sort of machinations of what he's doing are not entirely clear. And, and it's like, why is he sending this lady to like throw shit at somebody else's laundry? You know, and why this and why that? And then you see it sort of coming together you mentioned hall of the mountain king earlier and it's like it's it's the the narrative form of that piece of music where it starts off slow and and builds to a yes absolutely i love this story in concept i love i love the book i don't love the movie this idea and and especially if he was pitching this as the last castle rock story whether we believe that or not i love the idea of like Okay, the final Castle Rock story is literally the devil coming to town, and he's going to play everyone here against one another, and it's just going to be all-out war. That's an objectively funny idea. You know, it's also horror, but it's also objectively funny. Like, the de- the devil has nothing better to do than, you know, turn a community against one another that has maybe, like, 2,000 people in it. Like, I love this. It's so well, good. Well, he, he addresses it in the text, too, just about how he, I mean, I don't Leland Gaunt, isn't even getting any sustenance from this. It's not like he's feeding off of this hatred or fear, like some, you know, demonic creatures in the, in the world of horror might, he's just doing it simply for his own amusement, which is incredible. And it's yes. very funny. And, because he's, and, uh, Oh, and, and his little bag of souls that he has at the end, oh, which yes. they didn't put in the movie. His very, he gets a little bag of souls at the end, which is like, it's a little goodie bag from going, from going to this party that he set up. Right. Um, and it, it's funny knowing that he that he mentions Twin Peaks in in the beginning of this book. I think it's when Norris is talking. He's, somebody's describing describing Norris Ridgwick as Andy from Twin Peaks because this is a very Twin Peaksy story. And I'm like Leland Gaunt. Like that is the it's easily the cheesiest villain name that Stephen King has ever come up with. Like Mister Gaunt, <laughs> it's incredible. Um, I love it though. It's so evocative. I, I I, I, to- I I totally love it. And before, I mean, we I can't go any further in this conversation before saying at the top, obviously, there is a lot of fucking problems in this book. It's a very problematic book. There is a lot of uh, racism in this book. There's a lot of misogyny in this book. There's a lot of, there's just like a lot of bad stuff. I don't even like saying it's a product of its time because it's just shittiness is always shittiness. Uh, I think just- that's intentional, though. I think it's, you know, it's about the most base instincts or uh failures of people you know playing on those those elemental sort of fears like someone that's actually racist is just scared of fucking minorities you know that's that's what it all boils down to so i i think 
I hear what you're saying, but I also think in this case, like it makes perfect sense for all that to be wrapped up in this story. Yeah, it's interesting to see because I mean, Gaunt clearly comes to down and automatically immediately sees all the fault lines in the town. He is observing mm-hmm. everyone and seeing all of the the grudges and the hatred. And I mean, this is this is the kind of story where Stephen King's writing shines because he is you know, every Stephen King book, you know, you'll get a hundred pages worth of every character's hopes and dreams and favorite underwear brand. So a story with about a small town that is all about the hopes and dreams and fears and grudges and pain and and happiness of everybody in the town. It's a showcase for all of his writing strengths because you're seeing, you know, the, I, I think he's Pangborn, the, the sheriff talks about it later on in both the movie and the book about how he's sort of wiring people together and you know fusing people together and the only reason the story works is because you get to know everybody so well and that is like absolutely that's the magic of Stephen King is that even when you're reading a short story you you get a big chunk of of information about a character that immediately makes you know exactly who this person is what kind what kind of person that they are and and this story just showcases that because it's a small town story uh at the same time almost sort of collapses in on itself about three-fourths of the way through just because it is so bloated with all these different storylines and i found myself about three-fourths of the way through sort of skimming like okay like a certain character certain scenes that i wasn't crazy about i'm like oh okay this like the um george and frank i think it is frank jewett I think his last name is that whole storyline. I just kind of got a little like, okay. But in the beginning, it just, it it just shines. Yeah. No, I, I get that feeling that there's a lull that happens after the suicide in the book. Um, One one of the first characters, I think the first character to go into the shop is a, uh, is a young boy who wants a Mickey Mantle uh, baseball card. Like that's what, what he, he desires. And one thing that the book does that I really love that the movie um, goes out of its way not to do is show that the objects that they like are they, they're the only ones who see them for mm-hmm. what their desire is. Like yes. in, in uh, real life, the this Mickey Mantle rookie card that that um, Brian Rusk wants is, you know, it's like some beat up, like dog eared piece of shit, like trader trader card. Right. And that's what everybody sees, except he sees the mint condition thing and that so everything that everybody covets is really this like rotting old you know piece of trash and you know and there's there's something great about that because it's like you know you see what you want to see in an object and you let it have that control over you and and that's such a great thing that they go out of their way to not do in the movie and it blows my mind because there's a in the suicide scene in the movie like uh, uh, Pangborn played by Ed Harris picks up the Mickey Mantle cards like, Oh wow. Mickey Mantle. You know, it's like, Holy shit, this is amazing. You know? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it, it's a weird choice. I wonder why they did that. Well, I think it's perfect. Because of- it goes to show how all the, I mean, he doesn't actually want this card, you know, when he holds the, and, and you see it a lot better in the, in the book and the movie it's very weird because sometimes when people hold their objects, they see, bad memories but in the in the book you see how people are completely overwhelmed by the feeling of of like you know he when he holds the card he's on the field getting his card signed by sandy koufax or colfax or whatever it is whatever the guy's last name is in the book um you're not just you're not selling somebody a an object you're selling them a memory you're still selling them nostalgia you're selling them a feeling of something that is useless to anybody else 
Right. I want to take this moment to say how <laughs> fucking pissed off I was to see that in the movie, one of the dis- things that is very lacking in the movie, and there's no excuse for it, is that is Maine as a character. Maine in New England is such a strong mm. ca- character in the Castle Rock stories, and in this one in particular. And there's none of that except for like Aunt Amanda Plummer's atrocious New England accent. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and the kid's wearing a fucking Yankees hat. I was like, there's no child born in Maine that would be wandering around wearing a fucking Yankees hat. Are you kidding me? To loop back around to this idea of baseball cards, I'm wondering if, did y'all ever collect something like this when you were a kid? No. I that's I actually, in, in preparation for this show, I was giving a lot of thought, thought to what I would what what Leland Gaunt would sell me? I actually I went to Twitter about it actually and got some very very hilarious mm-hmm. answers because um, I because co- I don't collect things. I have a lot of books, but I'm not particular. But like he would not woo me with a first edition of a Shirley Jackson book or something. Like I don't care about stuff like that. So and even as a kid, like I I can't think of a, a collector's item that would catch my eye. But you must have a thing. You know, it might not be books. It might not be baseball cards. What's well, that was your, my, what's my, my question for you guys is what, what would Leland Gaunt sell you? I've been thinking about this all day. <laughs> and and the answer is so complicated. I don't know how to. I would need another 90 minutes to explain. But well, I think it, I think in general. A, a new monkey costume. <laughs> <laughs> I think in general. And just to simplify this, this isn't actually the like real answer because the real answer is so complicated but you know in this reality i think it would be sort of the last action hero style i think it would be a movie ticket that allowed me to enter the world of certain movies and just sort of experience that that would be extremely would you uh, slash my fucking tires to get it scott hell yeah Yeah, i fucking would are you kidding me Talking my last action hero over here, huh? <laughs> I can walk. I can walk into the the world of The Shining whenever I want, or Jurassic Park. Yeah, your tires are fucked. Those two are that. Like you would want to walk into the world of The Shining. That's where you'd want to be. So the suddenly the monkey costume is really making me <laughs> making me nervous, Scott. <laughs> well, it Re- should. It should make can, everyone nervous. Scott just that he was the bear, the guy in the weird bear costume. <laughs> the bear. I costume. think. I think like what my actual desire is is so specific, and there's like multiple components to it, none of which I will talk about on air. Um, <laughs> I'm so, that, I mean, I'm that's so the perfect thing of, of needful things, though. It has to be something sort of because even the characters in this can't quite. Besides Polly, which I'm going to get to in a second, because actually Polly is what made me figure out what I would have. Even these characters can't quite fully articulate. You know, they just Hugh Priest thinks he wants his his jacket just because he likes his jacket, but what he's really uh, he really wants is is to go back to before everything went wrong, and he wants a chance to start again, and he wants to go back to a time where he felt hopeful and powerful, and you know, the the dream of his life wasn't squashed to shit, and it's it really has to be something that is completely you know. Uh, inexplicable to everybody else even as much as i make fun of the elvis orgasm sunglasses like how funny it is that there are these like weird glasses or weird framed photo of elvis that these two women who are best friends they're both older women and they like obviously are not in happy marriages and what they are getting sold by leland gaunt isn't a, a hot tub 
with the pre with the with the king, it's feeling wanted and feeling beautiful and feeling right. desired again. And like God, just and I wish these like for someone, someone that you ladies a sex toy. Like someone tell these husbands to stop being so awful. But 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 it's it's also they want to be seen as the object of desire by somebody powerful. Yeah. Like that that is like the, the ultimate thing for the Elvis glasses is. The, is that it, it comes down to not being laid by Elvis Presley in, in your mind, in your whatever magic uh, devil VR that's going on in our mind. It's like the scene from Demolition um, Man. Right. It, it's not It's not so much that for her. It's it's the fact that it's always in front of people. It's always uh, like he pulls her up on stage in front of a crowd and he, he chooses her and kisses her in front of the entire crowd. Yes. Right. It's like, it's, it's always a, a, a show for some, and to be seen as important because somebody important chose her. And, and, uh, and whenever that boy breaks down and she like sees the vision of her friend having sex with Elvis or whatever, that's the thing. It's everybody is now, ignoring her and watching her friend mm. and, and 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 it is it, it is a very interesting and complex psychological thing beyond just the the goofy elvis hex glasses so i got in a that question vein, well i was gonna say what what is eric what would you get i'm pissed off at scott because he has the perfect answer for for me would it be um, like you, you two would be like the elvis ladies where yeah, you would go into the movie theater the and scott would, would be in it. there and you'd be like oh what the fuck man i would once I would again my say that it was complex is, it, is very is is very mild compared to the far hornier answer which which i might take off air off air you know um <laughs> it, there's a brutal sort of element to this where it's it's your basest instincts like wrapped into an object and what does that object do Eric would you be mad if you had gripped your last action hero movie ticket and you walked into the theater and Scott was in there maybe in his monkey suit <laughs> I would be mad if he was like controlling it like if he was the the person in the relationship that always dominated the remote control because I would want to <laughs> go into probably different movies I don't think we Maybe. can share this. I don't think we can share our needful things objects, though, right? Mm. No, well, that's what's interesting well, but- is that, like, the two Elvis ladies, they each had a separate, like, ticket into the Elvis fuck universe. And so there Scott, was only Scott one Elvis would- in there. <laughs> one Elvish Elvis? Um, <laughs> one Elvis in there. <laughs> um, yeah, so Scott would have the ticket and I'd have, like, some, like, magic pair of 3D glasses or something, right? So that's No, the- I, don't, I don't need you coming into my theater. And maybe investigating whatever I'm doing <laughs> on screen. Yeah, what if there's like a browser history thing where I can yeah, tell exactly. what's coming up to? It's very personal. So uh, suddenly it's just like, oh, closer, huh? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Why did Scott watch Eyes Wide Shut 15 times in a row? Because Scott loves Eyes Wide Shut. That's why. <laughs> He's a gentleman. <laughs> so I actually I had a really hard time thinking about what I would... Um, what what my what Leland Gaunt would sell me again because even now I don't actually collect that many things and the things that I do collect quote unquote you know like I really like bourbon and I I really like finding bourbons that I've never tried but it's not something that you can like hold on and use forever like once I drink a bottle of bourbon I'm like oh that was great cool I'm done um and the thing that made me realize what I would get is is Polly Chambers, who I think is such an interesting character and such like a, a, a moral, emotional through line to the book and a little bit of the movie, but not really. Um, mm-hmm. It's because Polly kind of throws everything 
uh, up in the air, you know, up until Polly gets her necklace and, and all and coinciding pretty co- pretty quickly when Brian kills himself is it's everything's sort of funny, you know, like we've been talking about, it's a black comedy. It's sort of, you, it's very easy to laugh at the people and, and the objects that they're choosing. It seems kind of silly, but Polly's isn't, wrapped up in nostalgia it isn't she she doesn't want a baseball card she doesn't want anything she just wants her fucking hands to stop hurting and mm-hmm. um like for me i didn't have like like i there's no object that would bring me back to my childhood i would rather i would th- like light that on fire i did not have a happy childhood so i don't have a right, lot like i think right. that i'm living my best life right now uh leland gaunt is the opposite of mindfulness there are many life coaches that would uh that that leland gaunt would hate um but for me, like, I have really, really bad period cramps, like really, really bad. And if he was like, here, I've here's a magic sock that you can put on that will make your uterus not feel like it's punching through your gut. Well, what would... do you put? Wait, hold on. What do you put the sock on? <laughs> My foot. Like, she, de- she doesn't put the necklace on her hands. <laughs> it's just weird that you narrowed it down to a sock. I like socks. It's like, so if Leland God offered me a mitten... <laughs> I'm gonna be there for that mitten. It's, I love it's very, socks. If okay. I need to tell, I'm I mean, the first, this year I asked for socks from my boyfriend's parents for Christmas, and I was like, "That's how I know I'm old because I really would like some thick woolen socks, like Dumbledore." Style. I love us. I love us. I I love socks. I love socks, but I'm not gonna. I I don't love one sock. It's <laughs> the one sock. Wearing one sock is like the the shower sex of sex. What? You what? know, like someone's ass is always hanging. Well, listen, here's the thing. Like, if you have shower sex, someone's ass is always hanging out in the cold. It depends on you how know? big your shower is. I've had multiple sizes of showers. I've put this theory to the test. Okay, um, hold on. Someone I is always real quick someone and is- say, so, sh- sh- Scott, you will tell us your history of shower sex, but you won't tell us what your secret horny object is. No, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> Um, but, but, but you did want us to know you had a secret horny object. <laughs> is it like a loofah that dispenses I'm just, being, I'm like, just being honest. I mean, if y'all can't be honest, that's fine. Like, if you I'm can't, talking about if my you can't, problems on air, yeah, I am being yeah. honest as fuck right now. Okay. Well, Eric maybe is not being honest. You know, <laughs> he jumped onto my bandwagon. He wants to be in my theater watching whatever the fuck is going on in there. No, no, no. You know, so he hasn't answered this yet. But what I'm saying about shower sex is that it is the worst form of sex I have ever had in every scenario. Doesn't matter about the partner. And that's what wearing one sock feels like, you know, it's like, it's fine over here, but over here it's a mess. I just want to say how often Scott, are you being forced to wear a single sock? Well, there's been times where like <laughs> I've had uh, like I'm in the process of putting on socks and then like maybe my dogs go ape shit and I have to run out in the yard. So I'm running out there like some sort of fucking, you know, like with one sock on, you know, like, and I, I wear like I wear like those. This is not like, a normal enough scenario for most people to have people to have any sort of opinions on, but you have them and they are strong. Yeah, of course. Well, if you run out in the yard and also I wear like those socks that. Like before quarantine, I, I wore I wore boots. You know, I wore docks or or something along those. And lines, you wear toe socks right? in them. Yeah, of course. And in quarantine, like maybe we go a little higher with the socks because they're they're providing warmth, and I keep it at like fucking sixty five degrees in my house year round. I no think we actually what. do need a onesie, Eric. I think we should uh, 
double up and get Scott a, a raccoon onesie for Christmas. Yeah, that's fine. I'll wear it. So he can fly like Super Mario 3? Oh my gosh. But I have had to run out in the yard after my dogs in one sock before, and it's humiliating. Well, listen, motherfucker, if you had the cramps that I had, you would be kissing that one sock if it was a relief for you. Like, I I have such bad cramps that I can't even, like, I, I have to choose between taking enough ibuprofen to give me a stomach ache or having cramps. Okay, um, but Mal, this isn't a competition. We all have our <laughs> own struggles. You know, oh, okay. we all have our own crosses to I, bear. Wait, hold on. Is Scott explaining menstrual pain to me? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, am, I, am, I know a lot more about this. Like a lot of you don't know this, but in the last six months, got my license. I'm a gynecologist now. I have I have the, in quarantine the, the wherewithal. Yeah, in quarantine, I've been doing Zoom classes. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, they're, they're are they Zoom classes or are they pay by the minute porno shows? Oh, they are Zoom classes in every sense of the word, and uh, they're helpful. <laughs> <laughs> <They're held through. laughs> let me <laughs> let me finish my line you motherfuckers uh, they're held through Pornhub <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, great. they're I'm covered so on my insurance and so now I'm a doctor <laughs> so I think I know a little bit about menstruation versus one sock <laughs> thanks Scott thanks for telling me I'm <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, what I'm right, saying. Get, yeah, let's get back to Brian Ruff's suicide real quick. Yeah, let's real let's quickly <laughs> touch on that child suicide. Um, yeah, so as I was thinking about Polly, and I realized that, like, wow, especially, you know, knowing, going into this, reading it, you're like, oh, obviously, this guy's name is fucking Leland Gaunt. Like, this is some bad shit's going on. But, you know, to the unsuspecting people of the small New England town, like, context removed from the situation if i was having a really bad period day and i mean i wouldn't be walking around in the small town if i was but theoretically and some guy was like yeah i'll give you this fucking sock maybe even a pair of them to wear and it will take away your period pain if you i don't know take a shit on somebody uh, on old margaret smith's you know lawn i'd be like oh okay like yeah, that's I what's so insidious about it, right? Because it's like it's somebody you normally it's not it's not people who hate each other or love each other that are doing this. It's people that don't know each other, and that's all. You don't know that person. It's all. Would you press this button? You get a million dollars, and somebody you don't know dies. Yeah, it's the Richard Matheson right, right, right. button. Button or is it the box? I forget the box. I think my hang up on your thing is that it's just a sock. Like <laughs> it's as weird a choice as like. Well, listen, if a guy I'm offered Chet Buggins, but brand listen, socks, like, but I'm gonna sell like, them if I Kimberly. was going antiquing in an old New England town, and Which I, I walked have done in the many store, times, by the by, and this guy offered me some suspenders that cleared up my, I'd be like, "What the fuck? Why are they suspenders? Cleared up it's your what, thing, Scott? The menstrual cramps? Oh, that you have? Okay, great. Keep going. No, 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 no. Like, I'm this is totally about you. I think the single sock choice is as bizarre as a, a pair of suspenders. I have lots of suspenders. How many single socks do you have? 
You know what's extremely weird about all of this is that I hurt my toe a few days ago. Oh, and no. so for the past three days, I had been walking around wearing a single sock. There That's why is. you said this. That's why you said this. You it's didn't mean it. You know, you don't mean this, Mel. You know, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be a single sock. It would be like, I don't know, pants or <laughs> underpants or something. <laughs> The fact that of all the things this episode so far, this is the thing that you have the most opinions on is hysterical. It's me. a fucking weird choice. It's like, well, you know, once again, I'll go through the example again. I was antiquing in old New England. I walked into a store and a guy said, hey, if you put on these earmuffs, then I'm not going to menstruate anymore. Like, it's fucking weird, dude. It's a weird accessory tied to this thing. Anything. That's all I'm saying. That's well. That's what I'm. What I'm trying to convey is that you would do anything to get rid of this pain, right? Even wear a single sock. I wouldn't blink. Okay, it. fair. All right. I, I, I. That's fine. Well, fun, funnily enough, like I, uh, I, I relate to Polly actually a lot in the story. Uh, going back now, like when I read it the first time, I was a nice, healthy young young lad. Uh, but I have gout now, and I don't know if you know what gout is, but it's uh. It, don't pirates get that? That's no, scary. it's kings. It's the king's disease. So, what was the um? Shit, what, <laughs> what, 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 what was that? Uh, uh, fuck! What was the name of that movie with the the, the queen and uh, Emma Stone was in it? And the, the favorite. The favorite. Yeah, uh, there's a moment in the favorite that opens it up where she's she has gout. She has a gout attack and her foot swelling up. It's essentially like bad arthritis um, in the joints of your feet. And so it, it, I get, I get attacks of those a couple of times a year um, that are, if I don't catch them early can be like real bad where my, the joint in my toe will swell like Polly's joints swell. Right. And I can't put any weight on it. I can't sleep. The, the weight of a single bed sheet on the foot is excruciating. Um, so I can, I, I can relate to that. Like the moments that she has, you know, in the, uh, in the book where it's like just any, anything to take this pain away. Like I've literally had the thought go through my head at a certain point during one of the worst attacks that I've had of this, where it's like, it might be easier if I like, not that I would do it, but like just a quick fleeting thought. What if like, I just cut my foot off. Right. And then I don't ever have to worry about this fucking pain again. But and right? Paulie and, has those exact same thoughts. Right. And uh, and so may- maybe my real answer besides the movie ticket is is the other sock that uh, doesn't. I'll, <laughs> I'll take the other sock that 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 here's my gout. It came you back and I can have these socks. Sock. Scott can go fuck himself. <laughs> well, that's why there's only one because one sock's a gout sock and the other one's a, yeah. a, a menstrual cramp they're sock. A, they're a, they're a set. We'll be now if you can find the person the that has gout and really bad menstrual cramps, you know she's yeah. set. Yeah. <laughs> uh well that's what it's so interesting because i really do feel like polly is the one that sort that makes it not so funny anymore and mm-hmm. makes it because there's almost a, a an air up until polly of blame that is going through this because what's so interesting so much of stephen's work stephen king's work up until this point is a love letter to the to the Chut Buggins of the world. It's a love letter to mm-hmm. small towns, to small town New England, to 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 the common folk, if you will. You know, Stephen King writes books for the average person. You know, most of his his stories, his best stories, are just about small town people. 
but needful things as much as it is all about small towns it's not it, it's a, not a love letter to them. It is showing all the darkness and all of everything he hates about a small town. And up until Polly, you almost, you sort of blame them. You know, you're sort of laughing at them. You're sort of like, look at these sad people who want these ridiculous things that think their life is going to be better. And Polly is what brings it all home. It's like, no, it, it, it's not just that. And well, she a- changes everything. That's the difference, right? It's first few people. It's about desire. It's not about need. Yes. You know, and she has like a real application for this uh, magic or whatever you call whatever Leland Gaunt is doing. So, yeah, I get that. And I really hate in the movie, and I guess I should have assumed it because fucking films and filmmaking, but the the moment where she puts on the necklace and you see her, it's like a fleeting, very disturbing sex scene between Gaunt and, and Polly. Right. Is so like, what? It just, it something that really bothered me during the movie is that the moments when people touch their objects it's like the, the things that they see almost undermine the entire point of it. Right. Like the point of, of, of Polly selling her soul to get this necklace is so she can use her hands, not so she can bone gaunt. Right. It, it, that one almost felt to me like they're like, Oh shit, we've established when Brian t- touches the card, he sees the baseball game. When uh, what's his nuts touches his jacket, he sees himself as a high school kid, you know, on the best hour of the best day of his life. And then they forgot to give Polly something. They're like, well, we shot this other scene when, when later, when he comes in and like kisses her when she's on a, on a bed. So we'll just throw that in. It's super um, weird. Be- because the scene already is a seduction scene. And I think as they shot it, where he's because she she can't use her fingers, he's unbuttoning her her sweater to lay the necklace against her skin, and it's lecherous and it's creepy, and it, that that is perfectly fine. And I think that's where it should have stayed. It, it, right, you're right. It, it goes up a, a to a weird place whenever they show him making it's, out. It's just it's like needless things. It's like right. no person, <laughs> no person want like she it, like it's it's such a silly guy thing to be like oh yeah she wants her hands to be better so she could fuck better. Like yeah. it's just like no dude she just wants to like make pancakes and t- call people on the phone. Right. Um, before we move, it feels like, and I have some more stuff I want to talk about, uh, about Polly and her backstory, uh, which I think is really great in the movie completely erases. Um, but before we do that, we addressed what my needful thing is, what Scott's needful things are (laughs) and yours, but we have not discussed what Chud Buggins's needful things would be. Yes. What is his needful thing? Chud Buggins. A uh, needful thing would be a beer koozie from uh, com- a promotional beer koozie from uh, one of the his favorite White Snake tour in the eighties, where he, when he <laughs> grabbed it, it would it be that exact moment where White Snake was playing his favorite song and the wind was in his hair and some lady flashed the stage and he got to see her boobs and like everything was right in his world and it was that moment bringing him back to when he was like 18, 19 years old, he would happily tear up some old lady's flower beds to get that koozie. The flat, the, the beer koozie reads, here I go again. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And he sleeps Absolutely. with it. And that's yeah. what's so uh, something I actually really, really love in the book is that people become like, even when they get this thing, it doesn't, it's, it's absolutely not satisfying to them at all. It actually just feeds into itself and they get to the point. Uh, I think he, it's Hugh Priest with his foxtail. That's like the perfect example. It's this like ratty, gross foxtail that he is holding and get continues to get more, much like Scott's monkey onesie just continues to decay and get grosser and grosser. And he's at the point where he can't even let it out of his sight. Like he has to <laughs> keep it wrapped around his neck at all times. And it's just like, it's so it, it's absolutely perfect. So I love back to, Polly. back to Polly. This book is so yeah. good. Yeah. The book's great. The book is really great. It is. It's so dark the end of the book what's so interesting to me too is that it's it just keeps staying dark there's no hope in this book there's no stephen king does not prevent present a solution to any of these things clearly what he's saying is one stephen king is definitely making his stance on gun control very clear but also just like exposing the pettiness and the small things in small towns that make on one hand make them up but also make them unbearable and make people want to leave them again Polly is a perfect example in her backstory of her um having a child out of wedlock and feeling like she isn't welcome it doesn't want to come back to the town like stephen king is showing the ass of the small new england town here right. but he doesn't tell you how to fix it he's not showing you there's no there's no magical mm-hmm. moment at the mm-hmm. end of this where all the townspeople look over their differences and come together like no they fight each other until the bitter fucking end and the end of this book is just Leland Gaunt going somewhere else they don't defeat him they just get him out of their town and you know that it's going to keep happening and it leaves you it's a sad book and it's a very there's no triumphant ending to this one what are y'all's pettiest grievances against other people (laughs) oh that's heavy it's, it's interesting you ask that in quarantine. Well, I have one ready. Maybe it'll jog loose. Sure. Uh, a response from y'all. But is I go it, to my... I go is to it my, a horny grievance? No. All of Scott's grievances are horny grievances. Come on, you're fucking painting me into a corner here, man. <laughs> a horner. Um, <laughs> but I go to the, the, uh, the corner store by my house. I live out in the middle of nowhere, but there's a, a gas station about two minutes from where I live. So this is the outside of my own house. This is the building I have been inside the most uh, over the last eight or nine months. I I probably go up there one or two times a day. And every morning when I get up, I get up around 7 a.m. And I wake up. I let the dogs out. My wife's getting ready for work. And then I go up. She likes a, a Coke Zero from the fountain. And I get a big cup of coffee. And then I come home. And my here's my petty complaint is that 98% of the time I go in there, there are like five dudes lined up at the coffee bar area, and they are taking way too much goddamn time to make a coffee. Like you pour the coffee, you throw the fucking cream in it, you move on. Like maybe you got to throw some sugar in there too. But also, this is an action that should take about. 40 seconds to come <laughs> and they'll be there. The other day I was there, like it was too many people. Like I didn't want to like barge in and I also didn't want to be around people, you know? So I'm like kind of hanging back by the frozen food section and just watching. 
six minutes went past and these motherfuckers <laughs> are still making coffee. Like, how does it how does it honestly take you six minutes to fix a cup of coffee? So um, when Scott's on the news, like having his falling down moment, we will know at this gas station it'll be. It'll be because of the coffee line. Yes. If you told me, if you, if I woke up tomorrow and you were like, hey, man, big news. Uh, all those guys that are in the, at the coffee bar in your local gas station every morning, uh, they all get hit by lightning overnight and they won't be troubling you anymore. I'd be like, fuck, yes. <laughs> you know, just to get those minutes of my life back. It's so, it's such a waste. Like, what are you fucking doing? Anyway, so what are your petty grievance? Uh, I I have one that's kind of similar in that I don't know why I think this way, but I instantly judge and am annoyed by people, uh, not people, very specifically any male above the age of, say, 15 or 16 that that wears flip flops out in public. (laughs) I I don't know what it is like. Listen, if you're at a beach, cool. If you're at a pool, you know, go go with God. But I don't want to see your fucking dirty ass, fucking unkempt, hairy toes everywhere. I don't know what it, why it bugs me, but it, I instantly go like, come on, man, fucking be an adult, put some shoes on. Well, in the summer in Texas, I'll wear flip flops, mm, you know, I but also I don't have gross, I don't have gross ass feet. You know, well, my, my feet don't smell. I, I, I do have, take that I into consideration. Good, <laughs> I have, I have good hygiene and also, um, they're not hairy. I guess they're a little hairy, but like not like Robin Williams hairy. <laughs> right. So it's not like alarming to Did see. Robin it. Williams have really hairy feet. He had Robin really Williams hairy hairy hairy. fucking general son. Did you look? Did you look that up on WikiFeet? Like, how do you know this? Just, how How do you not know that? Like, click go right now as we're look talking. Look at his arm. No, no, I'm not Robin doing this Will- to my search history. Sir. Robin Williams is the, is a werewolf. Like no, people don't I know, know that. that. I trust me. I am uh, I am a woman who uh, is extremely attracted to to hairy chested people, but I don't pay attention. Like I I I've never given a thought to Robin Williams's feet. Do, do you I'm think that somebody just, with Robin Williams's arm hair and back hair and chest hair, he's going to have like shorn baby feet what i'm saying is is i've never given a thought to it and it has given me a nice window into both of your souls that you both are like oh yeah hairy feet mallory i'm gonna insist while on the air you google right now robin williams harry run a google image search and tell me what comes up i'm not and tell me if you're and tell me if you're robin williams's hair i'm not doing it (laughs) i don't want that on my search history what do you what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> it's the internet. Who knows what could happen? You're going to start getting Robin, ads Robin for Harry is the the <laughs> most scandalous thing you've ever typed into the internet. <laughs> no, cuz I the, pre my relationship there was many a times when I I, I typed in oh All right, God. fuck you man. I'm going to do it myself. Hold <laughs> on. I can um agent Oh my God, I can't even remember cuz we're from from X Files, the love of my life. Uh, David Duchovny. No, glasses. Mitch Pileggi. Yes, but I can't remember the name of his character for some weird reason. Skinner? Oh my gosh, Skinner. Yes, there's been many a time where I've typed in Agent Skinner shirtless scene from X Files, but I, I don't want anyone's feet. Feet well, is I'm like gonna, little... I, I don't know if I've ever seen Robin Williams's feet. But I'm you just both are so sure about it that it makes me laugh very hard. <laughs> 
Ref, hold on. I'm gonna you can't have right arms now. that look like Angora sweaters and not have fucking hairy feet. That's right. just not how genetics work. Check the text box, Mel. No, I w- I am not. Look at that. No, I'm not. What do you no. know about? Oh, hold on. Look at this shit now. Hold on. I'm gonna show you something else. I think maybe Scott. Boom, oh my god, look at Eric, that one. Eric, I figured it out. Scott's weird, horny, secret need willing that he won't tell us is just a framed photo, but instead of Elvis, it's Robin Williams's feet. I like. Well, I like a. I I, I kind of like a hairy lady. Like like I like. Um... <laughs> Go on. I, it's, okay, like, again, I'm, I'm you will tell with... us this, but you won't tell us your weird object. No, that gets into weird, like, I'm not admitting that to anyone. But, like, a hairy lady, like, unshaved armpits, I'm into this. Mm. You know? I mean, sure, I'm into a, I'm in, we all have to be. I'm into a sizable bush. You know? These are, you Again, know, this you is just how I'm this, wired. But, man, your object must be filthy, Scott. Oh, it's horrific. <laughs> it's you don't want none of that. But but how dare you judge me? You won't even click through and look at these links. Like, at I, least look at the second one, dude. Yeah. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing Why it. Why are you worried about your your perception of <laughs> I uh there's no, that looks like a lady hugging a gorilla, but that can't be what Robin Williams. He's so <laughs> fucking hairy, dude. He's like he's like somebody uh crossbred Bob Hoskins with a chia pet. <laughs> Scott, I'm not doing it. I'm right, Dan. That's your that's your <laughs> What's there's the downside, some, Scott? Tell me what the downside some, to me not looking. Like, the downside is they are the worst pictures I've ever seen in the search results. You're really selling me on not clicking on this. No, just look at the second one, dude. No, I'm not. I want to. I want to capture the audio of your response. This is cinema verite, please. No, this is some paid shit. At least. At least <laughs> click click the second one. No, there's some. I, I I'm not okay. Slightly serious though. I get so many weird, so much weird shit online. The last thing I need is some man out there that is creepy listening to me looking at photos of Harry Robin Williams and getting excited about it. It's not happening. Yeah, it, you're right. This whole conversation will do a lot to diffuse that. People won't won't send those pictures to you now. Trying to get you. <laughs> you're gonna get them either way <laughs> they're gonna chase you off twitter like you're kelly marie tran i just want to i just want to prove my point he was hairy as fuck okay i believe like a, it's not that i don't monkey. believe you but I, the fact that you immediately went to robin williams's feet i think is slightly suspicious hmm. you haven't seen the rest of robin williams Look at his fucking goddamn it. It's a very like, specific um, example, Scott, that I think maybe is floating on the top of your mind for other reasons. No, but when I think if someone says like a hairy motherfucker, the first person that pops up into mind is to is, is Robin Williams. You know, so that's what I thought of. And now I'm it looking at these pictures and it, it's reinforcing my my case. That's all. How did we start talking about this? What is this about? Pe- petty grievances. I don't like. I haven't even told you guys my petty old, grievance yet. Old man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's move on to that. I, you're too I think scared to click. I think them. Mallory's petty grievances uh, being sent links to Robin Williams. So I have, I actually have a couple because then is this ep- this episode the story is so perfect for quarantine because you know we're all especially 
here in Los Angeles, me and my boyfriend, we live in an apartment complex. We're all home 24 hours a day. So we're all really, you know, in it with each other. And all the things that might not normally annoy you about your neighbors, neighbors, because you're not home all the time, like are, are amplified. And there's like, sometimes I'm like, oh, if Leland Khan just asked me to do something to these people just for the fun of it, I might do it. Uh, one of the guys, one, my first one is, is the man we only know as the meat man. And once several times a week, he goes to goes outside to the communal grill in our in our apartment complex and cooks up what must be an entire week's worth of meat at once. Like like and it's loud and it stinks up the entire neighborhood. And it is so gross to me. And he just makes it's like haunting that he just sits there. Are you vegan? Uh, yes, <laughs> oh, but it's okay. also just—it's just weird to me that he just like cooks his meat en masse. Um, and the second one is uh, there's another person on our apartment complex who talks on the phone constantly, but on his balcony, which is mm. like right near our balcony, he always takes his phone calls outside, and everybody can hear. And, and he always has all the windows open, so whenever he does anything, whether it's watch a loud movie, which he does, or listen to show tunes very loudly, which he does, or talk on the phone loudly, which he does all the time, everybody can hear it all the time, and it drives me out of my fucking mind. I'll I'll agree with you on that second part for sure. Like the people do that; they get on a phone, and suddenly this is their speaking voice, and then they're like, "Hey, I'm on a phone. I'm talking on a phone." Yeah, and, so and you're like, everybody and- is home. Like, just do it inside, man. Right. Do y'all like my my wife is clearly used to talking on a phone in front of other people. She has a big family. I imagine this was a running thing and that's just how she was raised. But if I get a phone like if I'm in the living room with my wife and I get a phone call and I got to answer it, I will get up and go out in the garage just to have that conversation. You know, it's it's a matter of like not forcing someone else to hear your conversation. Yes, you know, like absolutely. keep watching TV. Like I'm not going to interrupt you. I think it's incredibly rude to have a conversation in front of somebody while you're on the phone. Like it's just unacceptable. But she does not understand this. And I'm like, I remember that like the first few times I did it, she was like, "What are you doing? Like, what are you up to on the phone?" And I'm like, "I'm trying to be polite. Like, you want to hear half of my conversation?" <laughs> Like yeah. it's it's not I'm not keeping secrets from you. I think it's gross to. Oh, it drives me. It truly drives drives me. Have out of a full blown conversation. Like, a, I, I obviously work from home, like everybody fucking does right now. But I'm also a writer, so it just like it's do you like leave a, them room when you get a phone call? Oh, absolutely. If I can, like it is just it's just one of those things you never make anyone have to listen to you on the phone. And it's the most awkward thing in the world whenever you can't leave and you know you have to take a call in front of somebody. Yeah, and then the, you like and, apologize profusely. Yeah. Always, always. Yeah, I don't understand why this is a thing. And I think I, I try to be empathetic about it because I understand that he, he probably lives alone. He probably doesn't have anything. Like everyone's lonely, you know, and there's so much, you know – uh, empathetic cartwheels that I'm doing constantly because I'm like, you know what? Okay, well, this person who's making a lot of noise, maybe that's what's getting them through the day today. You know, I feel I'm like channeling my inner poly chambers. I'm like trying to understand as much as I can and not be grumpy, but fuck, shut the fuck up. Right, right. So 
I, I would like <laughs> I, I would like to touch on You're so far uh, off right uh, always I, I I would like to touch on one I want to call out a couple of really great people that are in um, the movie oh my god the cast uh, is incredible uh, we we mentioned Don Davis already he he was the uh, was it Baptist priest yes he's the he, horny Baptist yeah. priest. The horny Baptist priest, he's great. Uh, this whole movie's filled with that guy, character actors. J.T. Walsh, one of my all-time favorite character actors, plays Buster. And oh my god, he's incredible. He is so fucking great in this movie. Like he is, he is the perfect Buster. Like I can't, I can't read. I reread this um, leading up to this. I can't picture anybody else in my mind. Like there's nobody that that is. But I guess Paul Giamatti might be like kind of the modern day equivalent of this yeah, guy. Him like salivating um, all over his good, all over his uh, cigar as he has it clamped between his teeth and yells at this toy is just. There's so many great moments in this movie. He delivers. He he like he is so and and uh, I know you hate her accent, but I, Amanda Plummer is kind She's of inspired great. casting she, for it, what drives me nuts about her accent is nobody else in the fucking movie tries to be from new england except for her and she fails miserably like there it's i i I get it i there are very very few films that nail a new england accent there's actually only one of them that i can think of where i'm like oh wow everybody actually sounds like they're from new england here almost every film that's people who aren't from new england try to make about New, new england is awful what, 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 how do you rate kathy bates's uh exaggerated dolores claiborne accent uh, in the bone yard honestly she has enough m- authentic new england meanness to make up for it right. so i would give it a six okay i'm glad let's see who oh did you guys know that the kid who plays brian rusk was clint eastwood's son in unforgiven no, but he did look really. The, 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 you nailed it perfectly. When you're watching this, there's so you, every five seconds you're like, "Oh my god, I know that person. Oh, where do I know that person right. from?" Everybody in this movie crushes it. Yeah, so I I actually don't think his name is uh, Shane Meyer. I I think he kind of drops the ball a little bit on the suicide. Yeah, listen, I, this is me being mean because he's a you know twelve year old kid or whatever. Um, <laughs> what a critique of a child. <laughs> He, he 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 drops the ball in the suicide scene. <laughs> the thing, also, I want to pause on the suicide scene because as much as we're laughing about it, it's the thing that really shows where this movie is a failure because, yeah. you know, this whole – you don't see the buildup to anything in this movie. Like you in, in the book, every single character – you see the buildup to whatever their breaking point is. You see their feuds, you see their fears with Brian. It's actually very sad seeing the lead up to him where he is clearly racked with guilt and he is so afraid and he is just wrestling with these emotions that no 11 year old boy should ever even have to think about. And in the movie, it just cuts from him to like, like gleefully throwing apples into Wilma's house to having a pistol held to his head and it's so jarring and it completely robs the scene of what it should be. Cause in the book, it is the first moment of true horror. Even, even Nettie and Wilma killing each other with knives in the square is almost like the height of black comedy is so ridiculous and like so bonkers. But Brian in you know his little brother walking in on him in the garage it's like the like it almost catches your breath because it's so dark and it's so tragic and it's so fucked up and the movie it's so jarring that you're just like wait what 
oh my god it oh it just like it really is where the everything falls apart in the movie i think it's also my favorite alan pangborn scene in the book is when he's talking to brian's brother little brother oh, in, the, in the in the in the hospital room yeah it is it's such an emotionally heavy scene and the movie just undercuts all of it well, and they also further undercut it by going, you know, it's weirdly ADR too. I don't know if you go back and watch yeah, it. Yeah, it's like, very strange. Ed, Ed Harris isn't saying the words that, that are coming out of his mouth, but they say, yo, he shot himself, but he survived. Yeah. You know, and then like, that's it. That's the, like the door shut on Brian's story. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's over where, whereas here, you know, Alan's got so much guilt about it because he knew that Brian was involved in some way. He was, he was figuring out what happened at least the crime that led to the, the the two women killing each other. And he presses Brian on it. And that is, so he blames himself for him pressing him and not, and not uh, uh, understanding how close to the edge he already was. The kid already was. And so that, that is so much better for Alan. And another way the movie fucks up. And I'm saying this again, as somebody who likes the movie um, is they have that moment. And I can guarantee you this comes from the studio. The studio says, we can't have the good guy and the bad guy not talk until the end of the movie. Yes. Um, and mm. so they have a moment in the first act where Alan Pangborn goes to pay Leland Gaunt to visit. And, and what's great about the book is Gaunt pegs Pangborn instantly as his nemesis in this town. He's the one that he doesn't think he can turn. So he spends the whole movie avoiding confronting him because he knows that uh, Pangborn will see him for who he is. And that's all undercut by having him have a sit down, you know, chat, eating a piece of Nettie's pie or whatever, you know, by the fireside. And it's tough because I actually, I don't hate the scene itself, but those two actors, like Leland Gaunt is so much better in this movie than he has any right to be. <laughs> Truly yep. like every, honestly, every Leland Gaunt scene, me and my boyfriend, me and Jeremy were just like, he's amazing in this movie. Yeah. He's yeah, so, totally. it's that perfect Fire mix cat. of like bemusement and evil and like him, like swirling his, his like brandy snifter as he like listens to the sounds of the chaos. Like he's just perfect. And it's so awful that this movie is so bad. I remember when like, uh, you know, I think it was Eric saying this earlier, but this was maybe one of the first like new King novels that I got from my parents uh, in hardcover. And I remember reading it and then hearing, you know, sometime later that they were doing a movie of it. And they said, Max von Sydow was playing Leland Gaunt. I didn't know who that was. I was very young. I was like, who is that? And my mom being like, it's that guy from the exorcist. And like there, there wasn't an, I don't think there was an internet back then that I could like look up, you know, just like image search much like I would do with a, a hairy photo of Robin Williams to <laughs> determine who this person was. But I did figure out who it was and I was like, man, that's really cool. That's, that's one of my few memories about reading this one mm. when it first came out. Yeah. Who do you think would be a good gaunt now? I, I have an idea. Ooh. Like if they remade this now, who do you see in that role? Fuck, man. I'll tell you mine to to kick things off if you don't have one. Mallory, do you have one? Uh, give me a minute, but yeah, you kick it off. I was when I was re- cuz I rewatched the movie again last night, um 
Uh, coming and I'd watched it fairly recently. I think I watched it. It's on HBO Max, and whenever HBO Max hit, like that was one of the first movies that just popped up. Like the fucking service knows me. It's like it knows that I search for Robin Williams, you know, hair pictures. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, and so I've watched it twice now this year, which you know that's two more times than I have in the last like ten years. Um, but it struck me that somebody like George Clooney right now would be a great gaunt somebody. Cause you need somebody who would be charismatic, who can be a little goofy, who can also be sinister if he needs to be. And, and uh, I think he would be a little bit of an off kilter choice, but I could see. Oh, I think you know, that's now- really good. I, I, I have a couple of thoughts. One, I mean, you could have the villain of all villains, Christoph Waltz, who's just amazing at being a goofy off the wall. It, like goofy one minute, terrifying another minute. Yeah. Um, but I also, I would like someone really charismatic, like maybe Orlando Jones, someone who I can just see, really picture delighting in the chaos of, of what's happening in the town. But at the same time, is just so smooth and so, um, you know, we, I, I can just totally see Orlando Jones like selling old ladies weird stuff. Uh, I hear what y'all are saying and I understand it and I respect it. And I love you. And yet, my choice for Leland Gaunt 2021 is Michael Sarah. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. That, that, that's that's bordering in a Jesse Eisenberg Lex Luthor territory there, my man, I think. No way. I, I don't know if that's going to work. Hmm. No, I'll make it work. <laughs> I don't. I've always. I've had a bone to pick with Michael Sarah ever since the him, he was in Twin Peaks. I just so many people loved him so much in Twin Peaks, and I really didn't get. Like, I felt like it was a joke that I didn't get. And ever since, I've just been like, oh. No. Well, he's doing Brando. No, I. I get. It's just not funny. <laughs> it is funny. It is as though. Mallory, you are destroying our friendship over the course of this episode. <laughs> talking about one socks. Talking about <laughs> Wally Brando in a in a slanderous fashion. This is this cannot go on. It's very upsetting. Listen, I can't believe you think I'm the one who's slandering our friendship after you tried to force me to look at pictures of Robin Williams's feet. Like no, it's I'm not the about his, it's not his feet. It's his upper body, dude. <laughs> Honestly, and I already I I already tweeted about it. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, yeah. I think uh, to be fair, though, I think Scott stopped being my friend after I didn't go see Cats. Mm. You didn't see Cats? No, I still haven't. Well, hey, Ma- you, Mallory, you I haven't seen Cats either. What you need? Uh, no, to do. it's a whole big thing with me and Scott. And like, what happened was I was traveling when Cats came out, and by the time I came home. Like, or no, I was sick. I got really sick last year when Cats came out. And by the time I got better, like, there was just like, I just didn't get the chance to go see it. And then the fucking pandemic, like, a bunch of stuff happened. And I, like, and didn't end up going to see it. And so, and Scott did. And uh, I don't think he's ever going to forgive me. Um, I honestly didn't remember this. But yes, I will not forgive you. If this much time has passed and you have not seen Cats, I recommend getting a sizable amount of hallucinogenics. Locking no, yourself Rob in your... I'm Rob Sheridan's fucking piece for BMD. No, I'm not doing that. Don't worry about Rob. Rob is, Rob is scared. But <laughs> you should have a full Cats experience at this point. It's it's awful. Um, but it no. is all... It, after, but it's I, all after you told me that it made you almost physically ill like i didn't want to go see it it did i was angry for like four days and then you were like you're 
<laughs> you were like, Mallory, this is the worst experience you're ever going to have. Have it. <laughs> yeah, but it's fun, dude. You know? No. Not doing it. I mean, it's not as fun as one sock, but it's 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 pretty fun. <laughs> one sock and a photo of Robin Williams' feet. That's that's Scott's idea of a good time for sure. It's not a photo of Robin Williams' feet. <laughs> Fucking look at it. Look at the second one. No. <laughs> look at the click the link, dude. If you click the link, you, you will see know of the existence it will of pop feet, up. Right? It will pop up in the right hand side of your screen, and you will say, "Oh, that's Mork." And no. No, 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 no. But you you both know of the existence of WikiFeet, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, vaguely. <laughs> right. Look at, look at he's trying so hard. What, what? No, I'm not a, I don't a under, hub of porn. I don't understand feet stuff. Like, I don't get it. I'm just period. You know? It's like being a taint enthusiast or something. Like, fucking, like, why this? You know, I, I, I respect my feet loving brothers and sisters, but I, I just absolutely don't get it. Well, we've learned a lot about each other over yeah. the last <laughs> hour and 40 fucking minutes. That we've been recording this thing. Yeah. The episodes are getting longer. Yeah. This, this one is Mallory's fault though. I just want to go on. <laughs> I try. I so seriously was, I was like, you know what this, I'm going to be really serious during this one. I think it went off the rails during pet cemetery. I'm going to keep it on track. Not going to get silly during needful things. Got a, I have literally, I have not one, but two pages of notes here with me. Like, Oh, this is going to be great. We're going to get really deep into like the, the, the scholarly, uh, uh, analysis of needful things and nope <laughs> <laughs> we thank you so much for coming back this was uh exactly what i expected and um i blame and we, is, we, i'm blaming you you set me up no you'll, <laughs> you'll be back you'll be back you'll come crawling back in a few months we'll do another episode and uh, it will similarly uh, go off the rails. I'm I'm oh, sure. God. I was nervous I... when we when we repeat, when we dropped your first episode. I was like, we're gonna get screamed at for this because it's just not. And everyone was like, yes, this is the shit. So um, I, don't know, I, I, I don't know what happened. What, what went wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I can't. Well, there, there's something about the the chemistry between the three of us where. It's very hard to stay on point. One of the things I like about the show is that it it goes up these blind alleyways and and sort of dead ends and crashes here and there. But that's kind of what makes it fun. You know, this is supposed to be a, a normal conversation about this shit. So you're absolutely welcome back. Um, well, I already I, told you what I have dibs on, which is not a kink book, but it is a kink written miniseries. Uh, I will let listeners see if they can guess what it is, but it is. Um, I, I, told I don't you. remember what you told me. Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> uh, so Rose, Rose Red. Oh, right. Oh, man. All right. Well, we'll do that at some point, but we're not going to be happy about it. Um, Listen. If I have to, like, the sad thing is now when I look at my Twitter, I'm going to see pictures of, of Robin Williams' hairiness. Oh, yeah. I have no choice. Yeah, plug, plug you. This is your time to plug yourself. Where where can people find you on Twitter to send you Harry Robin Williams photos? Not They cannot find me on WikiFeed. Although, you know what? I don't know that for certain. I've never checked. Have you taken and posted pictures of your feet online? 
No, but there, uh, from what I know of other friends of mine who are on WikiFeet, apparently there are people who like scour your Instagram to like, and and Eric, this is a point in your direction. They're like looking for people who like take a photo on the be- beach or like walking around with flip flops. And they're like, ooh, I'm going to screenshot that and put oh, it up weird. on their WikiFeet. Um, so Keep I don't know. away, guys. Come on. I, I think if I was a lady, I, I think if I was a lady, you know, and anyone gave a shit about my feet, I would 100% be doing an OnlyFans for feet. <laughs> like what di- like what pot it, it's like if certain people <laughs> were really horny about knuckles, you know, and so you just post a picture of your knuckles. Like Quote it's, it's certain not certain people. And you know, pe- pe- people are yeah. it's not close closer to Scott's needful thing. <laughs> in general, in general conversation, it's not remotely sexual. Um and also it's just like a thing on your body. You know, uh, and if I could be like printing money over that, I'd be doing that all day. I'd be fleecing these weirdos. <laughs> I get Quentin Tarantino in there. He's all into this. I'll paint my toes <laughs> up a little bit. No, I think I think you underestimate how much work it is to actually do that. You you've seen Cam. Yeah, it's a lot of work. That's full blown fucking though. Versus, you know, there's a difference between riding a Sibian and taking a picture of your feet while you're. It's sitting interesting on the couch. that Scott knows all of this. <laughs> it's not interesting. Everyone knows this about me. I'm a weird fucking horny weirdo. <laughs> like it's it's. Then fine. tell us your like, object. <laughs> no, you Scott, don't know. Okay, about deal. I will. I I will Google Robin Williams's hair if you tell me what your horny object is. No, I don't think that's a fair trade. <laughs> so you can't may or may not find find me on WikiFeet. hopefully not but you can find me <laughs> at mallory o'mara on instagram and twitter um my newsletter and everything about my my books and the stuff that i do is at, is at malloryomara.com my paperback for lady from the black lagoon came out this year um and so you can get that now um i just finished the first draft of my next book and that'll be out uh fall of 2021 uh i think but that is happening so more books are coming i do my podcast with my friend bria grant every week every thursday on maximum fun uh so if you are a stephen king reader uh and you like book stuff it is a great podcast to check out um it is almost as silly as this show but not quite (laughs) this is yeah this is only your episodes mel you know the the rest of these are very why i tried so hard (laughs) Well, like I said, there's something about the three of us in a room that just gets very silly. It turns into a fucking slumber party. So, you know, that's <laughs> that's maybe something slumber party ever. That's maybe once, something you need to think about. You know, once you conjured Chuck Buggins, there was no hope for. What's sad to me is that I didn't. I can. It's so easy to blame it all on Chuck, but I didn't bring up Chuck until like the end of the episode. <laughs> Last time, oh, but I'm I'm be honest, honest, the there were multiple times during the recording of this where I forgot what even thing we were talking about. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, this is our our time to say goodbye to everybody. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Goodbye. Many thanks to Mallory for coming back and uh, inspiring such a rowdy, raucous episode, and once again bringing you know our unofficial mascot. He's almost official now. Bringing Chud Buggins back into the conversation. Mm-hmm. That's all well and good. This episode is disgraceful. And uh, <laughs> I, I behaved uh, in a very disgraceful manner on this show. But uh, 
Eric insists that uh, it's pretty funny. So I hope the listeners enjoyed it. I will not be listening back to this one. <laughs> no, no, no. I think I think you would be pleasantly surprised. I don't know. I just don't want to hear it. But I hope everyone else enjoyed it. And uh, I do not get too, too yelled at today while people are listening to it. You're Sorry, a very folks. articulate drunk is what I'm saying. Wow, that's my my grandmother used to say. So that that <laughs> tracks. I, I believe that. But we've been sitting on that one for a while. I have been dissuading Eric from from running it for that exact reason. But I'm glad that it's finally out there. We can move on. And I'm glad we're doing this in the lead up to well in, into May. We have some really big bangers lined up for May. I hope this serves as an introduction to the party that's about to happen. Our one year anniversary is coming up, Scott. Next week is our anniversary episode. And we knew, listen, if you guys checked out our April Fool's episode, you know that when we get a dumb idea in our head to do something that we kind of go all out and uh, what we've done for (laughs) (laughs) what we've done for our anniversary episode makes the April Fool's episode look like child's play. So, um, I will say th- we're we're going to keep it under our hats. We're going to play this little a little uh, mysterious here for you guys, but uh it is a very fun episode. It's not an episode that like we're taking the piss out of something, that, but it's not something you've ever heard before on the show. So, I and think we'll that's about as we will never hear again. I don't know that we could ever organize something like this a second time. And <laughs> I don't know that you could live through the editing of such a thing a second time. It took literal months to organize this and schedule it and execute it. Uh, at this point, I'm just really excited for it to be out there. And I think it'll get quite the reaction. I hope so. It's a celebration of King. It's a celebration of the show. It's a celebration of for our listeners, our guests. It's, it's a w- big warm hug, I hope. Uh, it might be a little chaotic. Uh, emphasize <laughs> let's put, put quotes around little there um, might but it, put them around might <laughs> it um, is designed to be chaotic I would I, I will say that we will be revealing what the hell you're in store for next week uh, on Monday we're revealing yes. on Monday yeah yes Monday via our Twitter which is at kingcast 19 we really rolled out the red carpet on this one you folks should be excited and then this Friday on the uh, kingcast patreon we have something that's uh, going to be of major interest to any of the Dark Tower fans in the audience and anyone who's interested in, you know, uh, behind the scenes, Stephen King mythology. We have Robin Firth coming on the show to talk to us about the years she has spent working with King and writing uh, the Dark Tower Concordance and the Dark Tower comic books and her relationship with King and all kinds of stuff gets a little weird. It's a sprawling conversation, very long, but uh, if, if you're the type who enjoys that sort of dark tower talk, you are going to go bananas for this episode, and I'm right. very excited for, for people to hear it. If you are not already subscribed to the Patreon, what you want to do is go to patreon.com backslash the KingCast and get signed up now, and if you're not already signed up, you're going to get a backlog of episodes to work from, and I think we've done, what, 40 episodes on there at least so so many so many we've covered so much ground from stephen king boners to the stephen king rule shirt from the monster squad and in-depth conversations from everything in between we have a number of commentaries there's all kinds of shit going on over there that you're not getting on the main feed and i would really encourage you to check that out anywho let's get out of here before we say anything else about the uh 
one year anniversary show because I'm about to explode uh, by not talking about it. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> the KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. 